Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. We know you love football history, and we know you love NFL history. Well, how about we put the two together, and we bring in Joe Ziemba, the great NFL historian, to talk about jersey number 70s and the best players that ever wore in the NFL's history. And it's all coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the universities of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we are podcasting from America's North Shore, bringing you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So in taking the snap from the SportsHistoryNetwork.com and handing off to PigskinDispatch.com, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. That's a good time to take a break from our football history discussion and hear from one of our sponsors, Row One Brand. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876 including t-shirts long sleeve shirts phone cases mugs blankets pillows towels and even shower curtains go to sportshistorynetwork.com row number one for access to the full row one catalog and for gallery prints and gift items plus get a 15 percent discount off all prints on the row one pictorum gallery with coupon code shn15 follow the link on the show notes Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com and welcome once again to the pig pen. We have another bonus edition. Our football by number series is continuing and we are all the way up to Jersey number 70. And what better way to celebrate Jersey number 70 than to have our good friend Joe Ziemba join us. Joe Ziemba, welcome back to the pig pen once again, my friend. Darren, thank you so much. And it's really enjoyable that we're able to give some recognition to players. We've had fun in the past with halfbacks and linebackers, some of the crazy people that have played the game. But when you get to number 70, you have a lot of linemen who do their job for years and years, often decades, and they don't get the recognition. But we have some great storage. We're going to talk about a Hall of Famer who told he was too small to play football at high school, in college, and again in the pros. We also are going to spotlight a gentleman who has the uh, longest lost yardage on a fumble recovery, believe it or not, in NFL history. And we also have an ex-player who recorded with people like Beyonce, Madonna, and Cher. So we've got some, uh, some fun stories. And I think one that we could start with is maybe one of the best storytellers of all time, we have four Hall of Famers on the list, and uh, it's a guy that many people have heard of called Art Donovan, 
if we could uh, talk about him. And he yeah, was a guy I, who actually kind of influenced my outlook about football. Donovan appeared on numerous television shows like Johnny Carson and David Letterman and Jay Leno shows and, and told the fun side of football, or at least he made it sound like fun. So uh, I thought, wow, this guy tells great stories. Maybe that's the way to uh, talk about football, tell stories about the players. So he's got plenty of them. Well, if he's your influence, then he is a great influence because uh, you're definitely a great storyteller and about the game of football. So yeah, let, let, so let's talk about Donovan. Tell us all about him here. Well, Donovan was a, a big kid, 6'2", 263 pounds, and he, he never made any aversion to talking about the fact that he liked to eat a lot. They called him the bulldog. He was a big old tackle, played nine years uh, with the number 70, although he was in the league from 1950 to 1961 with three teams. The majority of that was with the Colts. He spent nine years with the Colts. Five times he went to the Pro Bowl, four times he was an All-Pro, and twice he was an NFL champion. And what was interesting, and he played 108 games with the Colts, and he started every single one. But uh, he was a guy who started and thought he was going to play college football at Notre Dame, but the war broke out and and he enlisted and he spent three years in combat. In fact, it was heavy combat. He was at Iwo Jima. And so when he got back and, and played pro football, it wasn't quite as difficult, nor did he take it quite as serious as fighting for his life. So he really had two careers, one in pro football and one in entertainment, as we mentioned. He was uh, on these various talk shows where uh, folks across the country could see Art Donovan and hear his funny stories about his experiences in pro football. He was also an author. <laughs> he wrote a book, believe it or not, called Fatsum. And uh, <laughs> you know, it became a bestseller from what I understand. But I know you might have a couple of his uh, various quotes. I-, I pulled a couple out here, Darren. And he talked about how players were starting to get in weightlifting in the offseason. And Art said about weight training, the only weight I ever lifted weighed 24 ounces. There was a Schlitz. <laughs> I always replaced my fluids. And then what about steroids? We had that steroid issue for a while. And Art said, we didn't have steroids when I played. If I wanted to get pumped up, I drank a case of beer. My kind of guy. <laughs> and, of course, on his eating habits and his diet, he had to keep with him a certain weight or keep his weight up. He said, I'm a light eater. As soon as it's light out, I start to eat. So Art Donovan, one of my favorites, and I think he might be uh, one of our nominees for our top 10 list tonight. I, I think he's definitely uh, not only a nominee, I think he's a, a shoe in on it. But yeah, a couple of his other comments, he, he's just a, a laugh a minute. He's probably the, the Rodney Dangerfield of the football field, I would say. I mean, uh, one of his comments that I, I found pretty amusing is, you know, I, I went to college to play football, not to study it. <laughs> uh, um, you know, he had, like you said, he talked about his weight and he said, you know, both sides of my family had come from Ireland in the 19th century for the same reason. There's nothing to eat over there. Since then, I've tried to make up for the, by the potato famine by eating as many potatoes and be, it being the only vegetable that passes these lips. And he <laughs> went on to say, I don't eat vegetables. 
I only eat food like cheeseburgers, spam, hot dogs, and pizza. So you can see what his training regimen was, you know, pizza <laughs> and, and beer. That's probably uh, one that most of us would enjoy having that as our diet. So oh, a perfect diet. And, and you don't blame him. the guy went to war for three years, interrupted his education and his football career and, and came out of it. And then uh, we still remember Art Donovan. Yeah. And, you know, he he had another comment. Now, it wasn't one of his more humorous ones, but it's one that sort of maybe sheds a little bit of light. You know, you, you said how he served in the Marines uh, and uh, Iwo Jima, you know, a very fierce uh, theater of war during World War II. And he has a, a comparison quote to training camp in football. And he says, uh, I came to my first Colts training camp in July of 1950, and it was murder, absolute murder. We had a coach named Clem Crow who must have been nuts. You got to remember, I'd been in the Marine. I'd gone through basic training and spent 26 months in the Pacific during World War II. But the Marine drill instructors had nothing on Clem. So maybe that's Whoa. why the, the Colts were so good. Maybe they had that uh, you know hard uh, training camps that uh, got them prepared for the season. Oh, absolutely. When you hear a war veteran talk that way with respect to his coach because of what they're going through, that that's pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, so I, I totally agree with the five Pro Bowls, four All-Pros, Hall of Fame, two NFL championships, all 1950s Hall of Fame team. You know, Art Donovan's definitely on our list, I believe. So uh, we have uh, three other Hall of Famers. Now, I'm, I'm going to make sure we add there, the Pro, Pro Football Hall of Fame lists that there are five Hall of Famers. But once again, we have a, a gentleman that the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame says wore number 70, Mike McCormick. And we cannot find where he wore jersey number 70 in uh, in the Pro Football. So we're going to probably have to leave him off of our list and talking about um, because he, we don't believe he's a number 70. I think Joe and I are in agreement on that. Right. So uh, our three remaining Hall of Famers are Sam Huff, Ernie Stautner, and Rayfield Wright. And uh, which one would you like to talk about next? Well, maybe we'll talk about Sam Huff, an, another old school guy, as we might call him, who uh, started back in 1956, played through 1969 with the Giants and Washington. He uh, wore the number 70 proudly his entire career, five times went to the Pro Bowl. The Pro Football Hall of Fame named him to the all-1950s team, and he was eight times on all pro teams, as well as the most valuable player in the 1961 Pro Bowl. And Sam, uh, a linebacker, was in the College Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 1982. But he had, a, he had a tough childhood. Maybe that's why he was such a fierce player. He grew up in the coal mining camp with no running water, we found out. And uh, But once he got to the, uh, to the NFL, um, he became the, uh, the first uh, middle linebacker uh, as a rookie to start in the NFL championship game back in 56. And he was also the first NFL player, player to be on the cover of Time magazine. That occurred in 1959. But there are some good quotes about him uh, from a writer uh, many years ago, back in 1965. And he said, uh, in response to maybe queries that Sam played a little too rugged out there, he said, Sam Huff isn't really dirty, just a bit grimy, grimy at the edges. 
and he tends to overdramatize like the villain in a wrestling show. He seldom misses a chance to give the ball carrier an extra dig with his elbow or knee, and one of his favorite tricks is a three-point landing on the head of a downed foe. It takes precision timing, so not to be tagged with a piling-on penalty. But Sam Huff defended himself and said, I psych myself up. Before every game, I work myself up because I'm not really a violent man at all. So another nominee for our top 10, Hall of Famer, Sam Huff, linebacker. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Now, I, I got to learn a lot about Sam Huff. Uh, I have my friend Larry Schmidt, who is from the uh, New York area. He writes quite a bit for one of the Giants' uh, uh, internet publications, Big Blue Interactive. And Larry came on and talked about Sam Huff on Sam Huff's birthday, which was October 4th. And it is a very special player to Larry, so that's why I wanted him to, to come on and talk about him. And he... Uh, we used to watch a program they had about Sam Huff. It was called The Violent World of Sam Huff. And it appeared, I guess, in Ooh. 1960. I don't know if it was a national broadcast or just in the New York City uh, area. But he uh, did a lot of uh, things that showed what a, you know, life of a football player sort of uh, on the field was. You know, by, he was the first player to ever wear a microphone, according to Larry. Um, you know, helping the Giants to win six Eastern titles in eight seasons. And he was traded in 1964 to Washington, but he was, uh, he, Larry claims that he was one of the first middle linebackers because the, the four, three defense, uh, sort of came in with that, the giants team of his era, I believe Steve Owen was the coach. And I think they had a defensive coordinator named, uh, uh Tom Landry. Ah. Yeah, that definitely definitely helps when you have some great brain power. And the guy on the offensive side that they practiced against was uh, Vince Lombardi was the offensive coordinator of that team, those teams. Yeah, so Larry uh, speaks very highly of Sam Huff. He got to watch uh, Huff play. It was a big hero of his and uh, you know a great giant and uh, still revered in New York City as, you know, by the Giants faithful. And um, yeah, Sam Huff definitely is going on our list here. I'll, I'll get quite a few calls from the New York area, I think. We're you know keep what, the... Darren? We have a, a couple more Hall of Famers, and one, I believe, played for Pittsburgh. And I'm not sure if anyone on this episode is a follower of the Steelers, but if they were, I'd invite them maybe to talk about Ernie Stautner. Well, most definitely. My my latest uh, trip to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, where I, I got to see you there in late June at our convention for the PFRA, I picked up a couple souvenirs in the the pro the uh the shop there at the pro football hall of fame the gift shop and one of them i found a pro football hall of fame steelers mug and it has of course they have them for all the teams but it had all the numbers listed of the players from that team that were uh enshrined and definitely a number 70 was on there and that's ernie stautner and he was a nine-time pro bowler was once as an all pro made the all another one that made the all 1950s hall of fame team. I think we have a few of those on our number seventies list. So ah, right. quite a few good, uh, good number seventies in the 1950s. And he, uh, you know, was definitely, I think he went in, was one of the first players to be put in the Steelers of uh, ring of honor when they started that probably, I don't know, probably six, seven years ago uh, down at Heinz field. Uh, but just a, a great defensive tackle, defensive end. And I, he also played a little bit of guard on offense uh, when they needed him to. But just a, a tremendous player. I 
can't say I ever got to see him play, but everything that I hear about him points to arrows up on, on this guy and probably another one that uh, would be a great candidate to put on our list. He would be, and he wasn't a very big lineman. He played at 6'1", about 230, but another interesting backstory, he was born in Germany back in 1925, I believe. He served in the also served in the Marines in World War II. And when he came out of uh, out of the war, he eventually ended up at Boston College as a teammate with Art Donovan, which I wasn't aware of, who we just talked about. But had such a successful career with the Steelers uh, as a defensive tackle that he was the very first player to have his number retired by the Steelers. And, of course, went into the Hall of Fame in 1969. But at the start of the show, I, I mentioned – how small a player was, and that was Ernie. And he originally went to Notre Dame where the great Frank Leahy said, I'm afraid you're too small and too slow to be a big-time football player. And then he started out his pro career uh, with the Giants, didn't make the team. And Steve Owen, the coach of the Giants, says, I I just don't think you have the size, son. And then he went over to the Steelers where Walt Kiesling, who we've talked about uh, before, was a coach who simply says about Ernie, he's the greatest tackle ever to play in the National Football League. So, again, our third, I hope, nominee for the for our uh, top ten list tonight at number 70. Well, you know how I am. He's a Steeler and the first Steeler number retired and, you know, all those great uh, halls of fame and uh, you know, excellent career and didn't play on very good teams. But uh, I, I think he definitely should be our third one on there, if it's okay with you. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then, okay. then we have one more Hall of Famer, Rayfield Wright, Dallas Cowboys. Played 11 years, all uh, except a couple with the number 70. Six time, went to the Pro Bowl, won two Super Bowls. And he didn't play too much his first three years in the leagues. And yet ended up being in the Hall of Fame in 2006. He was also a co-captain of the Cowboys as an offensive tackle. But his story going way back to high school is that he wasn't good enough to make his high school football team. And he eventually went to a small college, which was Fort Valley State, to play basketball, where one of the coaches convinced him to come out and try out for the football team. And, of course, here we are, a guy who wasn't good enough to make his high school team eventually made it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And part of his job was to protect quarterback Roger Staubach. And and Staubach said about him, he said he was absolutely the best. Rayfield was a big, strong guy that was able to transfer his size and strength from tight end to tackle. He also had such quick feet that he was able to deal with some of the faster defensive ends and even the linebacker blitzes. If he got beat, I sure don't remember it. The NFL honored him as a member of the all-decade team of the 1970s, and he was the NFC Offensive Lineman of the Year in 1972. So Rayfield Wright, another nominee, I think, for our top 10 list tonight. I think absolutely. Yeah, he's definitely the fourth one. You know, just uh, sitting here thinking about this, you're talking about, you know, he went out for basketball. I think uh, Gil Brandt, who was the uh, – uh, director of personnel, I think was his title with the Cowboys, the general manager, let's say. And, uh, you know, Tom Landry, I think they really like those uh, those tall 
uh, guys on the line, you know, Ed two tall Jones, you know, what was he like six, nine, uh, you know, Rayfield Wright, six foot six, uh, you know, some real big bodies uh, on those offensive defensive lines, which is pretty common place today. But I don't think that was always the case uh, back in the era that they played in. Right. Yeah. I do remember Dallas doing that a lot, scouting basketball players, hoping that maybe one of them would be that jewel that they could uncover. And, and now basketball players, you know, you got like the guys like Tony Gonzalez and uh, Antonio Gates, and, you know, they're just killing it at the, the tight end position because uh, mm-hmm. just the, the same sort of uh, muscle memory that you have in basketball and, you know, reaching up and grabbing rebounds, just like you're reaching up and grabbing a pass yeah. just really bodes well for them. So, yeah, that's a great, great story on Rayfield, right, though. But, yeah, he's our fourth one in there. So we we put all of our Hall of Famers that uh, we were going to talk about tonight, we put all of them in and right off the bat as our top four. So I think that's well, good well signs deserving. of things to come. We have uh, several players, uh, Darren, who I think are just at the edge of the Hall of Fame for one reason or, or another than not in there, but. I wanted to start out with a one guy who had an astounding 20-year career um, with the, all, all with the, well Minnesota except for his rookie year, and that's Jim Marshall. Played from 1960 through 1979, an astounding 282 games. And he wore that number 70, as we mentioned, except for that first year. But the uh, drawback on Marshall – for Hall of Fame, he only made the Pro Bowl twice. He did win an NFL champion, and four times he was selected to one of the All-Pro teams. But because of his long, long career, he was named to the All-1960s team and the All-1970s team. He was a defensive end at 6'4 and 248. He played in four Super Bowls for the Vikings. And, and when he did finally retire after 1979, when he started all 16 games, um, he held the uh, NFL record, let's see, for um, most consecutive starts at 270 of those 282 games. I'm not sure if that's been broken or not, but he still holds an NFL record for most fumbles recovered with 30. And he had 127 career sacks, which is second in Viking history. And I know we just have some new information that was released on career sacks by members of the Professional Football Researchers Association. So I'm not sure if this will affect Jim Marshall or not. But he was the one we mentioned at the beginning of this episode that unfortunately holds the record for most yardage lost on a fumble recovery when he ran the wrong way in 1964 for a safety for the opposing team. So, but what a marvelous career! Uh, 277 starts out of 282 appearances, and including that was the 270 games he played with the Vikings he started. And that prompted Coach Bud, Coach Bud Grant to say about him, there is just no price you can put on what that man has meant to the Minnesota Vikings. He learned the game believing there's no problem that can't be overcome if you run at it hard enough. Gung-ho! That's his football. So Jim Marshall, 282 games in 20 seasons. Just just quite amazing. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, this is one of the four guys that uh, I'm going to have to go up on the soapbox here. But this man should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, 
you know, you, you talked about his sacks uh, and the uh, pro football reference, which has recently uh, added those sacks for those players prior to 1981 and earlier back to 1960. They have him right in there at 128 that with the Vikings and two and a half with the Browns even. So he's at 130 and a half sacks uh, for a career, according to those statistics that were given. Um, but the, the, I mean, I think there's four players and I, I said this on some other podcasts of, of our or this football by numbers series, but you know, Jim Marshall should be in a pro football hall of fame as well as, you know, I believe Elsie Greenwood, Bubba Baker and uh, Ken Riley. I think all four of those oh, guys right. have been snubbed and it's really a shame because, uh, and, and I'd throw Sam Mills in there too. I, I think mm-hmm. yeah, I'd put a fifth one in there and I understand, you know, they don't, for whatever reason, they don't like to look at the USFL career, Sam Mills. And I think that hurts him. But even what he did in the NFL, he deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame compared to some of his peers that, that are in there. But uh, I j- just hope it's not because Jim Marshall had his most memorable play was a negative play. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, and it's embar- I'm sure he was embarrassed about it. He probably is embarrassed, you know, all the days of his life about it. Um, but it happened but it shouldn't put a damper on a 20 year career of an awesome player. I mean, he was truly awesome. You know, he, he was. was spectacular and uh, really shouldn't damper that. And he shouldn't be the, the butt of jokes and everything because the, the dude was uh, he came to play on Sundays and uh, I, I hope that gets rectified and he gets put in a pro football hall of fame someday real soon. Now, someone to play that long and not lose his effectiveness and to stay in shape and still dominate was was truly amazing. So I, I agree with you, Darren. I think he, he needs, and justifiably so, to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, I don't know if it'll make him feel any better and his family feel any better, but he's going to go number five on this uh, greatest number 70s, <laughs> I think, on uh, Josie Emba and Darren Hayes' list. I think we're going to agree on that. <laughs> right. There's no other solution. He's got to be on that. He, he's going in on day one of the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a, a couple of players from Buffalo uh, that one may or may not, or both may or may not be considered for the Hall of Fame, but I'm going to take you back to the 1962 season when Tom Sestak uh, began playing uh, for Buffalo. He was four times in the Pro Bowl, and he was six times on the All-AFL team. And the fear with him is that he's not being considered because he wasn't an NFL player for his career. In fact, during the 1960s, there was an interesting statistics I, I saw that he was one of six defensive linemen who were named unanimously all league at least three times. And the other five were all in the pro football hall of fame. But when he was um, working at defensive tackle in 64 and 65 for Buffalo, uh, his defensive unit held opposing rushers without a touchdown for 16 straight games, which uh, again, is really a mark of a good defensive unit. And he was a guy who played with injuries one year, playing with three broken ribs and assorted knee problems. Um, television announcer Paul McGuire talked talked about Tom once. He said about he wasn't getting the recognition he deserved. And he said if you ask guys who played against him, they'll tell you the truth that Tom Sestak was the greatest defensive tackle to play the game ever. 
And so he had a relatively short career from 62 through 68. Uh, he is on the Buffalo Wall of Fame, but one that um, hopefully the Pro Football Hall of Fame might recognize in the future, and we might consider him for our top 10 tonight. Yeah, that's uh, definitely some consideration here. Now, Paul McGuire, now, Paul McGuire, would he have been a teammate of Sestak's? Because then he, he wasn't he the kicker for the Buffalo team? He, he might have 60s? been. Yeah, I know. He was speaking. This was pulled off one of his announcing uh, duties that he had later. Yeah. I, I always enjoyed when he did uh, the games. You know, it's uh, yeah. He was always enjoyable to listen to. He had some great stories, and that's probably the where stories that, that came they from. tell. Yes. So another great storyteller. We're, we're coming back to that a lot tonight. Yeah. Uh, but uh, man, told by a storyteller here. Great storyteller. <laughs> but yeah, as- another Buffalo player, Joe Devlin, played from 76 through 89. And he was voted by the fans in 2009 as number 39 in their list of top 50 Bills players throughout the franchise history. So he started 179 games out of 191, wearing the number 70. In fact, he started every single game he played the last 12 years with Buffalo. His opponent, the Jets' uh, Mark Gastonaw, who we have heard of, had a great comment about Joe Devlin. He said, he's the best tackle I faced all season. I can't believe he's not all pro. Devlin would uh, line up with a step back so he'd have a little more time uh, at the line of scrimmage to react and to adjust to the oncoming rushers. But despite that long career, he never made an all-pro team. But maybe he'll make our top ten list tonight. Yeah, um, I'm just going trying to look at memory. He played through the 1989 season, and that had to be about the time that uh, Kelly got there. I'm not sure if Thurman Thomas was in there. Did he end up playing in one of their Super Bowls, or was that Ooh, after him? Yeah, I am not sure. No, I, I know they played into the, the the run went into the early 90s, but I don't know if it was yeah. uh, it started in the 90s or maybe started in 88 or 89. I have to I'll have to look that up later, but. Uh, Hopefully he got to play in at least one because uh, mm-hmm. that long of yeah. a career and uh, have the team go in right when you got done, that would kind of be bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I agree with both, both those guys uh, should be under consideration, you know, in particular Sestak. Uh, but yeah, I have no problem with Devlin uh, taking a look at him later on too. We have to bring in one of Bill Belichick's favorites, another guy who, uh, isn't in the Hall of Fame, and that's Logan Mankins, a guard for the Patriots in Tampa. He played 11 years in the NFL, all wearing number 70. Seven times he made the Pro Bowl, and the Hall of Fame named him to their all 2010s decade team. He was a member of the 2005 all-rookie team. So he, he played tackle in college, was drafted in the first round by New England, but moved him to guard, and he started immediately as a uh, as a guard. And he was the highest-paid interior lineman back in 2011 when he signed a $51 million contract, so big bucks in those days. And Belichick said about him, Logan Mankins is everything we would ever want in a football player. He is one of the all-time great Patriots and the best guard I ever coached. So Logan Mankins, 11-year career, wearing number 70. Yeah, I, I don't see have any reason to even think about Mankins. I think he's probably one of those guys that uh, probably ought to go on just after talking about him. Like yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to put him in as our, our sixth uh, guy in there. 
beside the behind the Hall of Famers uh, and Jim Marshall. Yeah, we have uh, several more folks. We have uh, three guys that we found that had 15-year careers in the league, now, four of them actually. And we talk about them briefly. They all have kind of unique stories. Uh, probably the uh, well, Harry Swain, who played for Tampa, San Diego, Denver, Baltimore, Miami, played 15 years, never made all pro, but he was one of those rare players who started in a Super Bowl for three different teams and, of course, played in three Super Bowls. So Harry Swain with a 15-year career. Another 15-year man was Charlie Kruger, all with the 49ers, twice made the Pro Bowl as a defensive tackle, and he was the captain of the college all-star game back in 1958. He's a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, the 49ers Hall of Fame, and the State of Texas Hall of Fame, as well as the National Football Foundation Hall of Fame. Wow. And he was one of the last linemen to wear the old-fashioned two-bar quarterback face mask. Um, so when he retired after 15 years, that was the fourth longest tenure in 49er history. But interesting aspect to his post-career was there were movies out in the past, I remember. I think North Dallas 40 was one of them where the players would get shot up before the game to ease their pain and let them play. And <laughs> apparently, of course, we know this. Apparently, this happened in the NFL as well. And Charlie Kruger had horrible knees. And apparently, uh, he, he received shots in his knees so he can go and play. And after his career was over, uh, he sued the team and won $2.3 million in damages because it was found the 49ers were not truthful in telling him about his injuries and the danger of playing with them. So they apparently uh, gave him the shots so he could continue to play. And play he did, starting 193 games during his career out of the 198 that he played. So Charlie Kruger, another 15-year player, as was Bob Whitfield, who played for Atlanta and played for Jacksonville and the Giants, only made the Pro Bowl once and twice was named to an all-pro team. Uh, he's in the Stanford Hall of Fame, 15 years, as I mentioned, as a tackle, 6'5", 318. And Bob had a favorite tactic on the field called the headbutt, and he was heavily penalized for that during his career. In fact, uh, developed the nickname of headbutt because he continued to do that. Uh, <laughs> In his post-career, though, a fabulous, fabulous life. He is the founder and CEO of Patchworks Recording Studio and has uh, on his label or worked in recording with folks such as Beyonce, Whitney Houston, Cher, Madonna, and a whole bunch of others. So Bob Whitfield, 15 years in the NFL, but he's going to have a long, long career in the recording industry. Then the, uh, the final member of our 15-year club, is Russ Washington, a defensive tackle, uh, played his entire career with uh, San Diego. He was a five-time Pro Bowler and six-time on all pro teams. He started 196 of the 200 games he played in, only missing four games his first three years. And those last 12, he started every single game. In 77, when he started his career, I should mention in 68, retired in 82. But in 77, he was the NFC uh, offensive lineman of the year. And at the time of his retirement, it still may be true, uh, he played more years with the Chargers than anyone else, 15 years. So uh, 
a near, near career bothered him at the end. Uh, but he had one time between, uh, he started every game between 1970 and 1980, 178 straight games before a knee injury sidelined him. And that concludes our, our brief list of uh, 15-year players and all might be considered for our top 10 list tonight. Well, absolutely. Uh, th- those are some definitely some great players. Now, you uh, you. Th- Threw me off track a little bit when you were talk started off talking about Logan Mankins. You said uh, one of uh, Bill Belichick's uh, favorites, and I started uh, pulling up my research on a num- another number seventy that uh, Belichick would have had when he was a defensive coordinator, and that was uh, Leonard Marshall. And uh, oh yeah, uh, Le- Leonard was sort of uh, you know he was a defensive end, defensive tackle on those great Giants teams of the '80s that uh, Bill Parcells and uh, Belichick coached, and he w- might have been overshadowed a little bit because they they had a, another gentleman that was pretty high profile in the NFL on defense at the time under Mr. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, and you know they also had Pepper Johnson and you know the, the whole gambit of some some great defensive players. You know, it's a legendary defense, but Leonard Marshall was a, an important uh, cog in that defense, and he. I mean, he doesn't have the the Pro Bowl numbers. He had two Pro Bowls in his career, but he wore jersey number seventy his whole career, uh, which I believe uh, was was twelve seasons altogether. And right. you know, that was spread out between the Giants, uh, the Redskins, and uh, the uh, New York Jets. So he stayed on that East Coast uh, corridor there. But um, you know, with the statistics that we have. Now, I mean, he had nine forced fumbles in his career, uh, 711 solo tackles, 83 and a half sacks. And at defensive tackle, that's that's some pretty good numbers. And I, I think that he should definitely be under consideration uh, for our list, too, because he was a definitely a significant player. Yeah, and those 79 and a half sacks still ranked third in Giants history. Uh, he was twice named as the uh, NFC or NFL's defensive lineman of the year, but he may be best known from 1991 when he put a huge hit on quarterback Joe Montana, knocking him out of the game and pretty much knocking him out of reg- regular season for the next year or so. I'd have to look it up, but um, Leonard was a fierce competitor at 6'3 and 288, and obviously he could hit very, very hard. And, and some even claim that he made a knocked him out of San Francisco because uh, yeah. uh, another quarterback came up and played very well, a uh, little left-hander. Uh, That's right. Uh, Steve Young mm-hmm. and uh, ended up, uh, they ended up moving Montana to Kansas City at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very, very good player. So we'll put him under consideration too. And mm-hmm. I know I know you've got some more here because there's still some good names left out there. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, Henry Lawrence uh, played his entire career at the Raiders, won three Super Bowls. Twice he was invited to the Pro Bowl and a 13-year career. So uh, played tackle and guard, started 148 out of 187 games, and that was mostly uh, the first four years of his career. After that, he was a solid starter for the team. Again, didn't get a whole lot of recognition, but a very solid player for most of his career. Yeah, I definitely think he's probably one that we'll uh, want to mention at the end too, because it's a uh, you know a great great uh, Raider his whole career. Um, and how about uh, we probably ought to mention Zach Martin too, because he had some great significance to the teams that he played on. Um, you know. 
a played guard, uh, came in with, uh, the Dallas Cowboys in 2014 and he's still playing, you know, he played, played last year and yeah. I believe he's coming back again this year, but in his, that short career. So we were looking at, uh, seven seasons, the man's made six pro bowls and four times as an all pro and wow. may also been on the all 2010s hall of fame team. Um, and he didn't start until the middle of the 2010s. So I think he's that key of a player to the Dallas offense. Uh, I know when he uh, hasn't been in the lineup, he missed a couple games in uh, 2018. And I know they suffered a little bit. He missed, uh, uh, he only played 10 games last year. And he was one of their many injuries on the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys offense. And the, they certainly missed him. And I think he's, probably one we, we might want to put under consideration with that many pro bowls and all pros in such a young career. And he's uh, right smack in the middle of it. No, exactly. I agree. Yes. Okay. Uh, is there anybody else that you want to bring to mention before we uh, start talking about two to put yeah. on our list? Well, just another couple who play a long time in the league, not much recognition. One was Paul Smith. Played for Denver in a couple of years with Washington, 13 years, twice an all-pro player, uh, defensive tackle, defensive end. Um, John Fina played 11 years, all with Buffalo, except his final year with the Arizona. Uh, wore number 70 those entire years. No pro bowls for him either. And then um, Jim Skaggs. Played nine years wearing number 70 for Philadelphia in the line. Again, no pro bowlers. But I uh, wanted to mention a couple of Chicago Bears, and I will close out and not bore you any longer. Uh, <laughs> first is Herman Lee, a gentleman I kind of forgot about, but he was the uh, starting lineman for the 1963 champions. Played 10 years for the Bears. And from 57 through 66, starting 121 games, uh, did not see where he ever made a Pro Bowl. Uh, but again, he did make the uh, won the league championship in 63 when the Bears were able to defeat Y.E. Till. And then one other would be Dennis Lick uh, from the south side of Chicago, St. Rita High School. Had a short career of basically six years. His last year in 81, he played from 76 to 81. Came out of Wisconsin, wore number 70, and did make one all-pro team. In 1976, he was on the all-rookie team. So the two Bears probably won't make our top 10 list tonight, but I feel obligated that we should mention them anyway. You don't want to be chased around with uh, pitchforks and shovels in your hometown, that's for sure. That's gotta, right, gotta yes. Those they bears, no uh, longer quick. Not that's that right. I ever was. But. <laughs> uh, I think uh, too much reading up on uh, Art Donovan might have got you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to find some more. In fact, I have to find his book. Um, the guy was just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely was. Well, I think we're probably at that point uh, where maybe we got to review. We have six players that we've put on the list so far, Joe. Uh, we have Art Donovan, Sam Huff, Ernie Stotner, Ray Wright, Rayfield Wright. Those are our Hall of Famers. We yeah. also added Jim Marshall and Logan Mankins uh, to that list. And here are some candidates that uh, put check marks by that we want to come back and talk about again. And that's uh, Russ Washington, uh, Charlie Kruger, Bob Whitfield, Leonard Marshall, Zach Martin, Henry Lawrence, Joe Devlin, Tom Sestak, uh, Harry Swain. And I think that is all the ones that we said we want to come back and 
put under consideration here. So we need four of those gentlemen, and there's probably about uh, eight or nine of them that uh, we have to choose from. Yeah. You know, one that I, from the old timers, I guess, Tom Sustak, just, again, didn't play that long, but was all pro, and maybe there is some hesitancy to recognize him because he didn't play in the NFL, but I kind of like his chances, and I agree with you about Zach Martin as a a current player that we can't forget, and his his record thus far has just been extraordinary. I I totally agree with you. Those are two that I would mention if you hadn't, so we'll put them on as our seventh and eighth players on there. I'm sort of leaning towards that. You really uh, had talked up well uh, Russ Washington, and I, I sort of you know, liked what, what you had to say about him. He, um, yeah, I think he's got a good, good chance at this and maybe Leonard Marshall might be the other one I would lean towards. Yeah. I think they're, they're two that we would be comfortable with and well-deserving as well. Okay. Well, that uh, wraps up another list here. And can you, can you believe we're 70% of the way through here on uh, our journey through these Jersey numbers and you've, God, you've had a lion's share of them here. You've been on at <laughs> least a a, probably a dozen, dozen episodes, and I, I know you have more <laughs> that you're signed up for, so we're, we're excited about that too. So uh, we appreciate you, you doing that. Uh, now, what do you have coming up on your, your next episode of When Football is Football? Well, our current episode is still running, which is a trip back to forgotten tales about NFL training camps where we go all the way back to 1920, actually, to see what training camps were like. And we go into the 70s, and it's a bunch of fun stories. And our next episode will be about the, again, I'm going to use that word forgotten. We'll probably change it. But the forgotten history of the college football all-star game in Chicago, which started in 1934. I know you did something on your daily program about that. It's just really interesting when I dug into it. Of course, we're going to be covering that in this next book I'm writing, but there's so much stuff out there about it and how important it was to getting pro football recognized with this one game and that people actually attended and they were excited about it. And even some of the old, old holdouts from the college coaches who detested pro football had to admit that, hey, this game is uh, maybe has some potential. So that'll be our next episode coming out in a couple of weeks, probably at the end of July. Well, we'll definitely look forward to that. And uh, something I've, you know, I know you mentioned a bunch of episodes ago that uh, we were talking about. I know you're working on a book and you're talking about those two Chicago Bears at the end. Uh, Reminded me of that book. How, how are things coming and what, what's sort of the timeline for that book to be hitting the shelves for people to grab and read? Yeah, we don't have a publication date yet, but uh, wrapping that book up, The Forgotten History of the Bears and the Cardinals, but a lot of, I hope, Stuff that I hope there's stuff that people will be interested in that has never been published or revealed before, uh, especially about George Hallis. What happened to him in high school? What happened to him in college? You don't see much about him. Uh, some of the behind the scenes maneuvers with finances that the pro teams had to use in the early days, uh, their transportation, uh, some of the personalities involved. So I'm I'm happy with what it is so far, and I always test it out with readers, and they're maybe they're lying to me, but they said it's interesting. So we'll hope that it is, and uh, we'll we'll let you know first when we get a date for publication. 
Well, excellent. Probably the listeners are out there said if some knucklehead wouldn't keep bugging them to come on a podcast, you'd probably be able to get working <laughs> on that book. And, <laughs> so, and uh, they're, they're probably right on that, but we can't, we can't miss these stories. We, we need you for these. So, and we appreciate mm-hmm. you you're coming on once again and sharing your knowledge, uh, your great research ability and uh, stories that you tell because they're, uh, they're just classics, Joe. And we, we really are glad to have you uh, be part of so many of these uh this series on the football by number so thank you for that and we thank you again and look forward to the next one that we'll be doing together we're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker it's fourth and long we're gonna have to punt the ball and get on out of here but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines so be sure to tune in We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast. <laughs>